yeah, I'm trying to talk out loud about um, what's the reckoning that the witch coven was trying to um, to to make right almost with with the doctor. That that's the part that's most confusing and also the most interesting is yeah. how those those weave in and out of each other. It's the most open ended questions. That right. Yeah. Presents. Do you like apples? Do you like apples? He's actually one of my favorite working filmmakers. I love that. Um, I anticipate, I think, what was my in with him? I think I was in at I Am Love, which is mm -hmm. actually his second feature. I haven't seen his first feature or... Uh, he might have a couple other. Uh, there's one called Melissa P, which mm -hmm. is which is really stylistically uh, set apart from everything else that we're familiar with with him. Um, and then he has something that Tilda's in called the protagonist that I'm right. I, I've never even come across. Um, but his first breakout features I Am Love, which is Tilda Swinton, uh, who's a Russian immigre in Italy and. Um, she's in this big wealthy family and falls in love with uh, uh, her son's chef friend. And it's, if there is anything that unites all of Luca's work, it's his concern with desire. Hmm. Um, I mean, he's a queer filmmaker, not only in the sense that he's gay, mm -hmm. um, which actually... Uh, took me far too long to figure out. <laughs> like, I, I don't, around Call Me By Your Name, I remember people being like, or maybe I created this conversation in my head. Like, how does this straight man get to make this movie? Right. And then it wasn't until, like, probably a couple of years ago, I, I was just on his Wikipedia, and it just says, personal life, Luca Guadagnino identifies as gay. And I was like, yeah, duh. <laughs> You're spreading, spreading around all of this anti-call me by your name for the strangest reason. Yeah, that's so funny. I know. I, love that. I, yeah. know. I don't know where this like made-up conversation came from. But okay, but also in desire that is like buried under a different paradigm. So mm -hmm. uh, you can see this in Suspiria in not only its politics, but in its interest in the body, um, both like a political body and how it moves, but also mm -hmm. our physical forms and the connection between all of us, which like the centerpiece dance is called, it's folk in right. uh, English. It's about a collective and community. Mm -hmm. So, um, across all of his films, that is ultimately what he's interested in, in sort of intimacy and desire and the politics of it. You know, think about Call Me By Your Name and that secret relationship between these two gay men. Think mm -hmm. about Bones and all that, like, yeah, it, it makes it like a vampire or a, a like vampiristic cannibal metaphor. But like, it's about hunger. It's it's about <laughs> desire. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so interesting that 
because I the only three of his movies I've seen are his three most recent Call Me By Your Name, now Suspiria, and uh, Bones and All. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've you putting the desire theme out there, yeah, it makes so much sense. I'm trying to think of if there's an easy way for the those three movies. So you brought up Desire with the cannibalistic nature of that story. I feel like Suspiria is the political form of the body that you brought up and then calling by your name. That one just felt so I, I could almost see why you thought, and I think I did too, until you just brought it up that it was uh, directed by a straight man, because it felt like it was very accessible for straight people with that yeah. story. Like that movie became a sensation all on its own, uh, really dumbed down a lot of the, uh, I think queer ideas. And by all accounts, uh, Timothy Chalamet and, uh, Army Hammer are both straight, so it was just that that fed into that narrative. So I wonder if that, yeah, I guess maybe that just goes into the uh, the gay love through straight love eyes almost is kind of how that movie was presented. And I don't know if that's its own. Where I get that from. Is yeah, like the 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 turn to the billowing windows and calling by your name when they're finally having sex. Mm-hmm. The fact that. Uh, Oliver Army Hammer's uh, character doesn't eat the peach in the book. He eats the peach. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Yes, he does. <laughs> um, so all of it is sort of tamped down. And I think for a lot of queer film critics or uh, people who are interested in queer culture, mm-hmm. um, the adaptation of Calling by Your Name is, like you said, sort of straightened. Right. And yeah, like if you bring up the themes of what he pairs each of those concepts with, makes me think maybe that was more of a choice than just, um, or, or just trying to get more of an audience involved. And I wonder the Suspiria and Bones, it all feels so obvious in their parallels of desire with a more cultural theme. Well, I guess cannibalism isn't a cultural thing, but Suspiria definitely with its politics is, uh, I was, I haven't seen the original Suspiria, but that seems like the biggest change from the original movie to the new one. There, there wasn't as much of the Nazi politicized message in the first one, from what I understand, you probably can tell me more than, uh, than I can. But before we get into kind of you explaining me through this whole process is um, Drew and I realized in the month of August that there's just not, all that much that we're excited about. Um, it felt like an appropriate time given the uh, Drew, not, Drew and I are not a part of the Writers Guild or Actors Guild, but it just made more sense to look back for a month of August. And also because of traveling and all this other stuff, we just kind of wanted to create a series for hopefully people that followed you like apples uh, can join along with for the month of August. And also for the last five years of Do Like Apples, we've met some cool people. So wanted to bring them into these conversations of movies that Drew or I haven't seen um, from directors that have movies coming out later this year. So we have already released episodes of Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some and Michael Mann's Manhunter. Um, this episode with Joshua Ray, who is here with me, um, is coming out a week later than anticipated, but uh, we are on Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. And this is my movie that I haven't seen. So the first two recordings, uh, we didn't plan this very well. Uh, Drew had not seen Everybody Wants Some, but I talked about it with uh, the guy who created our uh, podcast music, one of my good friends, Ryan Jenkins. And then I hadn't seen Manhunter, and Drew talked with uh, St. Louis Magazine's uh, uh, Max Havey. So um, finally we can get this 
series correct because I have not seen Suspiria. I have not watched it. <laughs> and Joshua Roy, Joshua, when I uh, sent you the list, you're like, oh, this is easy. I'm a Suspiria diehard. So yeah. let's talk about that. So I'm using you as the expert. But yeah, Joshua is a programmer at Cinema St. Louis. He has his own podcast, blog, whatever you want to call it, The Take Up, and uh, which Drew, or I, Drew and I have been on once before. And then is it weekly? People can see on KMOV, kind of given your quick thoughts yep. about new releases. So Joshua, yep. I'm really excited to have you here. This is going to be a good conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. I um I am happy to claim the title as a uh, Suspiria 2018 <laughs> expert. I'll take Suspiria 1977 intermediate um, okay. <laughs> on that one. Uh, even though I... Uh, on the take up, you can actually read my ranking of Dario Argento's Ooh. full filmography on there. I am an Argento diehard, Got it. but I will say that um, Suspiria's uh, shadow, the original Suspiria, is uh, far too large for m- me to claim to be an expert. However, mm-hmm. 2018's Suspiria, I feel like, has very little sh- shadow, and maybe it's growing. Um, but yeah, I've seen this movie now five five <laughs> times. Oh, man. Have you ever tried to watch it on a plane? Because I was tempted to. <laughs> uh, when I was on my way down, I was like, all right, I have 10 hours of flight. I was just in Brazil. So I was like, I, I can knock out most of these. But I went with the other... A uh, couple that I haven't seen on the list on a plane, which based on what, now finishing it at home, yeah. uh, very happy I did not throw that on a plane. That would have been a mistake. Uh, a mistake for several reasons, not only because of content. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because it's sort of like anaric or a, like dreamy, nightmarish unfolding, I wouldn't <laughs> want to do that on a plane. No. It's also <laughs> like visually very dark. <laughs> so very dark. I think yes. you, made the, you made the right choice. Um, no, I uh, saw a critic screening of it in which there were like four people in the room. And this was a movie, I, like I said, I love Luca. I love mm-hmm. Dario Argento. Everyone was sort of reticent about anyone touching Suspiria. But yeah. what uh, Guadagnino and his team have done with it is move it far beyond sort of the fairy tale uh uh, original mm-hmm. and moved it into a political parable of right. like, this really epic scope. It's sort of the polar opposite of Suspiria, but still sort of playing in that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where I was trying to place my uh, footing with it all is because I don't think I even knew the original had a more fairy tale aspect to it. But when you see the poster and you, see the trailer and you see the people involved the it's definitely not espionage but the political backdrop of not post-nazi germany in berlin um was an aspect i did not expect and an aspect that kind of gets explored early on with this weird old man figure that um this is a full spoiler conversation since we've both seen it and i think the only way you can really talk about it um tilda swinton plays three separate characters in this movie. And I think you open up with her as this doctor and you kind of get the taste of the political aspect of this movie early on. And then I feel like you get fully thrown into the dance world aspect at the dance Academy 
uh, Dakota Johnson coming over to Berlin. Dakota Johnson is an American in real life, and she plays an American in this story. Um, Do you so remember we, where she's from? Uh, not off the top of my head. Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> I love that line reading. It's, it's so the most L and just it's an L.A. The, version of Well, it's Ohio. the horniest way anyone's ever said Ohio. <laughs> Is that what, what, what rewatch were you on when you fixated on the Ohio sexiness of her voice? Oh, my God. Everything. Yeah. Every <laughs> time. I'm like... I mean, I, I know you want to talk about the yeah. performance um, and I want to talk about her too because I, yeah. it's I've, a conversation that I've had before. But um, it's not that Argento's original is depoliticized. It's interested in politics up to a point, but it's not interested in specific politics of Europe at the time. And... I think that's why Guadagnino was interested in having this world at the time of the original film's release. Oh, is, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Is um, he's sort of thinking of this in this world and using a sieve to find what Argento uh, strips away in in creating a very sparse fairy tale like 80 minute um mm -hmm. uh wild fantasia that he has in his suspiria mm -hmm. and what's interesting is that it is a world about the layers of politics and mm -hmm. finding you know sort of conspiratorial um uh center of a political movement is a coven of witches so mm -hmm. uh, you can think of it as political metaphor but it really is right. um, yeah, yeah. like the where the power lies and so in explicating that he creates this really epic vision but what's interesting is i i think a lot of people and a lot of critics want to find a parallel in the story of the film suspiria to the historical events that are happening in the the in the time of the film mm -hmm. and what they're really in doing so is sort of ignoring what the film is about right. so the the backdrop of it is germanian in autumn mm -hmm. it is the um the RAF the uh, red army faction um, who are left wing deemed as uh, terrorists because they are they're you know um, they've hijacked a plane they've taken uh, can never is really this time in Germany where post World War II politically everything is in turmoil mostly because mm -hmm. of this as they're also known the Bader Meinhof uh, group and this film doesn't ignore that. It's interested in extracting the history up to that point. But what it's most interested in is finding a, a political faction in the middle of that that is uninterested in all of it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's sort of, what does it mean to be of ultimate power, uh, a group of ultimate power? Um, and what does it mean 
to historically be completely autonomous. Yeah, this, it, it, it feels like it doesn't have, I feel like when you see a story with that brings in some uh, semi-realistic political black backdrop, you take the uh, underworld political organization of this dance academy that is a, a witch coven, it's uh, spiritual, it's got all these weird power dynamics. And you're like, okay, so how is it like post-Nazi Germany? I feel like that's most mm -hmm. critics' first inclination. So you're saying that Luca brings that in. Yeah, like it, it, it's, it doesn't seem like a mirror of the witch coven and post-Nazi Germany in Berlin. There, there's, there's so like the witch coven is almost there to reckon with the guilt of our main doctor. Uh, played by Tilda Swinton and our main climactic scene that happens, the big dance number. Um, you, you see that reckoning, but there's a line or it, it, there's a line right after also when the doctor is leaving the big climactic dance sequence um, where uh, a lot of blood is happening. One of the funnier things mm -hmm. in this movie is them just sending him off into the cold to kind of slowly reckon with what he just saw and i was like is this the ending of the movie they're just like all right you can go leave now like you're not gonna be changed about this at all and then thankfully they uh give you some type of uh breather with a conversation between dakota johnson and the doctor but um yeah the, this witch coven was only interested in how this doctor betrayed his wife in nazi germany and i'm interested and how do you, do you, are you seeing it how I'm seeing it where it's like this witch coven was there to judge Germany's past by, but they're not mirroring the structure of what Nazi Germany maybe was. I'm, I'm a, uh, yeah, I'm trying to talk out loud about um, what's the reckoning that the witch coven was trying to, um, to, to make right almost with with the doctor that that's the part that's most confusing and also the most interesting is yeah how those those weave in and out of each other it's the most open-ended questions that right yeah presents for sure um in its final act which is an epilogue mm -hmm. um susie dakota johnson's character has come to really her destiny as the mother Suspiria, mother of size. And this mm -hmm. is all, um, you know, from, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> from ancient texts and everything where mm -hmm. uh, Argento ex um, extracts all of his ideas of his original trilogy, which included the film that he made immediately preceding Suspiria, which is a, a Inferno. Right. And then 25, 20 years later, Mother of Tears, Right. Um, and and it seems as if uh, Guadagnino and his screenwriter, David um, Kishinich, were interested in making their own sort of version of that world within this. Mm -hmm. But uh, she goes to Eberdorf, the, uh, the doctor played by Tilda Swinton, right. um, and erases his memory of his wife. Mm -hmm. getting shipped off to a camp and the guilt that his, uh, that he's felt since. Mm -hmm. um, and 
we should say that his wife does appear in the film in sort of maybe a a, a hallucination right. or conjuring by these witches, played by Jessica Harper, who is the original uh, Susie Banyan in Argento's film. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Yes. So th- th- there's layers of implication there, too, about right. history. But the question is that I would pose back to you is, mm-hmm. is that an act of mercy? An act of oh, um, of uh, uh, like a political revenge. act that she of revenge, yeah, right, yeah, or like her covering up her um, deed, the deed right. of the dance academy. It's it's a movement, uh, a choice that she makes that is seemingly very smart because. This the only witness. He is the witness in the text of the thing. The only witness to the crime, right. <laughs> to the dance. Mm-hmm. He is also, um, are they judging the action or is it mercy in letting that guilt go? Right. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't feel like mercy just because the act of them abducting him and forcing him to watch this performance. Um maybe he needed the torture in order to be able to receive the mercy um, as fucked up as it is. It is uh, yeah. Just none of it felt like mercy at any point. So, but it doesn't feel like judgment either. Like it just feels like, yeah, I don't know. Cause it, can it be, can it be neither? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yes. my initial thought. Yeah. Here's where I've landed and it yeah. unlocks the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. This is a film about um, where the power lies. Right. And where the ultimate power lies is not really anything that you can see. It's not tangible to us. And mm-hmm. I'm not like a conspiracy theorist, but I, I, <laughs> I think we understand, like we're starting to see in our society that it is a very cloistered group. Right. Um, it, here it is money. Um, money equals power. Um, mm-hmm. I think it is an exercise of of power. It's, okay. it's it can be merciful what she's mm-hmm. doing. It is a judgment. It is all of those things, and you can read it any way you want to. But ultimately, it is of their benefit. And I don't know that they actually care. <laughs> You're right, exactly. The only time the outside world comes into the into um, their academy is uh, when two cops show up to investigate oh, yeah. the disappearance of Patricia, who's played by Chloe Grace Moretz. Um, and what do they do? You know, um, it's, I believe, Tanner or one of the other witches... Is like no, I'm uh, uh, I'm Madame Blanc, and they bring him <laughs> in, and they they put the two cops under the spell, and they mm-hmm. just like play with his dick, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's how much the outside world matters to them. Right. As a group, they ultimately because they can harness the power, the ultimate power, however they're doing it, mm-hmm. is um, complete autonomy. So in that scene, I think about, because 
the architecture of this building that they're in really recalls to me um uh like style of the third reich like this art deco that was removed or had not even removed sort of directly tied into um nazi germany it Mm -hmm. it resembles that however what you could see is that throughout that time and throughout that war Mm -hmm. they were probably untouched right they were likely Ah. so cloistered and and with complete autonomy that whatever was happening uh they were unaffected right were they collaborators were they resistance i don't think any of those things are true right that's what's a a lesser a lesser director or a lesser writer um if they didn't have solid original source material. I feel like we would have had a scene, like a, a reveal at the end of like somehow uh, one of the witches is actually what is controlling the third Reich or whatever, like uh, sure. c- controlling you're yeah. like, Oh, okay. So they were in power the whole time. It's the witches right. that are controlling everything, but yeah, the complete autonomy that you mentioned and yeah, they're just so comfortable in this space of power that they operate, that they can clearly, manipulate and control but they're they don't have much desire to go past whatever developed power that they've already created like they what is left yeah what is left and and then they left yeah they cycle it every i don't know how long uh tilda swinton's character was uh, madam uh madam blanc but when she finally does die they just explain it to the other dancers that all the dancers don't see be seem to be a part of this which coven because they were just like i have horrible news madame block left the company and then they all cry and then you kind of see the movie ends um we're we're we're, we're talking uh back to front here about this movie um <laughs> and it's uh easy to do because it's, it's really easy to do that doesn't nothing that we've talked about is explicit in it. no nothing mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's a line uh when tilda swinton is talking to dakota johnson and she says, I could explain everything to you. I think that would be wrong, though. And I just love when a director throws a line like that into a script where it just it lets the audience know, like, we're not going to explain everything that's going on. And I think you're better for it. And then you see what you brought up critics earlier of how they they thought about this movie in the context of the original and the, the political structure brought in. I saw a headline from uh, Screen Rant, which... I, I think they're pretty jo- a joke of an organization, but their yeah. headline was, uh, so why was Tilda Swinton a man in Suspiria? And I was like, we're, we're, I feel like we're operating somewhere in the middle. Like we don't, we, we don't want to explain everything to you um, it, just because of spoilers, but also because we can't. And also um, I just kind of want to talk about some surface level things. Like uh, are the, are the three main actors not counting Tilda Swinton? Um, I have a complicated history with all of these actors, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, Dakota Johnson, and I've turned out to love Mia Goth, but before um, Pearl last year, I was kind of hit or miss on her her style of acting. And uh, I haven't seen, uh, what's the Brandon Cronenberg one that came out earlier this year? Um, oh with her. And Infinity Pool. Infinity Pool, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. I, that that The trailer creeped me out a little bit. She seems to be playing uh, her She's most- 
best the best time yeah it seems like yeah. which is kind of what i want to watch it because she she seems to be having a lot of fun but opening up with chloe grace moretz i was like okay i already know i have a main love for dakota johnson but her style of a, a performer that she is the wrong context can really uh, expose what i find limiting about her whereas chloe grace moretz i just mm-hmm. don't one i feel bad for her because she has an opening scene disappears for the entire movie and then is in disgusting makeup completely nude at the end of the movie i'm like man why did you even sign up for this role this feels like a role that um not many actors of her uh caliber of her fame would sign on for maybe that's the power of luca but um yeah just hearing the cast list i was like is this for how weird that i feel like i know it's gonna be these three besides Mia Goth, these two kind of really normal actors. Um, I, I just didn't know how it was going to feel. And I, I feel pretty positive overall by their performances, but was that limiting for you when you first saw Suspiria of Dakota Johnson being the main, main person in this? No, no, yeah. no. I love Dakota Johnson. Yeah. I, you, no matter what, you know, there, I, I forget where I read this, but there's a Hitchcock film called I Confess with okay. um, Montgomery Clift and Anne Baxter. Anne Baxter being the titular Eve in All About Eve. Mm-hmm. But someone called her performance hermetically horny. <laughs> I mean, it, it, like the horniness knows no bounds, but it is it is it's still contained in a way that it is its own thing. And mm-hmm. um, that's Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson is in a bigger splash. Um, uh, Guadagnino's film before Call mm-hmm. Me By Your Name. Right. And is playing a character who uses her um, sexual uh, prowess uh, as sort of a, a plaything, Right. Um, as a duel. And what's interesting about Susie is what you find out is Susie has a destiny and was destined to come here. She is the mother of size. She is mother Mm -hmm. Suspiria. And so Dakota Johnson's thing really works, especially on future viewings Mm -hmm. because you have that knowledge because um, she does not play the ingenue. She does not play a Midwesterner. No. she plays it with her pussy. Like <laughs> she is, um, everything she says is like a double entendre. Right. Um, when she says, uh, talking about the improv- uh, improvised uh, dance that they do in the middle of the film, in mm-hmm. the, which she's actually meeting Helena Marcos through the floor or whatever magic is going on. Right. Um, Tilda and, and her are having a conversation and she says, I imagine that's what it feels like to fuck. (laughs) And the, the way she says it is not the way someone who doesn't know what it is to fuck would say that. So yes, it is a very, um, everything she does is very loaded and insinuating Mm -hmm. and, in this, it really feels like someone discovering their own agency in which this is really a story about that. 
and and and, and just an actor that I don't know if, if maybe she thought she was going to get the same thing with uh, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, but this kind of allowed her to take back some of that agency a little bit more, and probably with director that is going to allow you to take back some of that agency a little bit. And that's a, obviously a huge theme of the movie with how they move their bodies, how they uh, uh, portray art with their bodies and all that stuff. It, they're in complete control the entire time. And maybe the the political backdrop is there to almost take away from the main uh, message of this movie. Because if there was no political backdrop to it at there'd probably been way harder of a time for Luca to get this movie made. Whereas when you create this parallel or maybe kind of parallel, maybe not with Nazi Germany, it for the critics, at least I feel like it, it's like, all right, it's trying to say something about wars, trying to say something about uh, the patriarchy. Uh, we can get into those themes. Let's ignore the sexy themes that uh, the movie is a lot more interested in. And, but it's, it's harder or more uncomfortable to write and talk about that stuff for, um, very proper critics, and I think it's got pretty good reviews. But it's a uh, it's weird e- reviews. Yeah, it's it's, it's just not a film that you can really. I didn't review it, but I saw it with Andrew Wyatt, um, mm-hmm. who is, we're now owners of the Take Up, right? And and he was going to review it, and I just turned to him and said, "I'm glad you're reviewing it." Yes. Yeah. It was a film that it, you know, it is a, it works on sensation. It's a film that you can smell and feel and mm-hmm. like you can like feel the vibrations of it in your teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of these sort of these themes that we're talking about are not, you know, immediately present. But what mm-hmm. you do get is that sort of sensual filmmaking that is a trademark of Guadagnino. Mm-hmm. He's interested in in rhythms and mm-hmm. he's interested in sensations. He'll cut to something when you wouldn't expect him to cut. You know, that conversation I was talking about when they have uh, Tilda and uh, Dakota are in that room having that conversation or like eating fried chicken, I, whatever. <laughs> there is a cut to a shot where Dakota Johnson is in the uh, foreground and mm-hmm. uh, Tilda Swinton is in the background and they're both in focus because he uses a split diopter, which is a very um, like difficult but also old school thing to do. It's something mm-hmm. Brian De Palma is known for using. Argento has used it before. And it's that you literally spit, split the focal uh, planes of your lens so that you can have two objects in focus. This shot oh, yeah, is, yeah. is like a third of a second long. Right. And it's the only time he deploys it. Like that's yeah. the kind of care and interest in the sensation that uh, uh, Guadagnino is interested in. Can we, I, I, I'm sorry, I went down a road. No. Um, can I tell you my relationship with Chloe Grace Moreau? Oh yes, please. She's the worst. <laughs> She's I, the worst. Yeah. I, 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 I'm kind of there. I, just, I, I don't... hate her. Like, <laughs> the only times she's good. You know, it's just weird that everyone kept casting her. Mm-hmm. She seemed to be in everything. And, like, even down to 30 Rock. And I, 
the only time she's good is when she's playing a little spoiled brat. Yeah. Or uh, in this, in which she has one scene, <laughs> and then the rest of the film, she shows up in one other scene. Yeah. As a monster. Right. Uh, the other film that she's great in is Clouds of Sils Maria, where she plays a terrible actress. Right. <laughs> she plays a terrible actress, but she nails that performance. Yes. That is yeah, so... She understands being terrible. And Mia Goth, um, I, she's great. Yeah. And this is, you know, uh, Guadagnino is a director who understands and is interested. He's a cinephile. Mm -hmm. uh, everything he's done has been a remake, a retooling, hmm. an adaptation, or a, a like sort of direct tie into other films. The bigger splash is La Pacine, the the uh oh I forgot who made that. Um French thriller. This is a remake, Bones and All, uh as a, a lot of near dark in it, Call Me By Your Names, an adaptation mm -hmm. that has a lot of cinematic history, uh, especially the screenwriters, James Ivory. Mm -hmm. um, so talking about, you know, a Tony uh, love, uh, love, love story. Mm -hmm. um, and I Am Love has a lot of like Douglas Sirk and European uh, like Visconti to it. But um, the he's really understands style and style as a, as a, as a mode of delivering ideas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what we were talking about Dakota Johnson's performance and why I think it's great is that it is a very stylized performance. Um, I, the last time I rewatched it for this, I actually watched the first half of it and let it sit for a little mm -hmm. bit. And I finished it this morning nice. and going into it this morning was a really weird thing. <laughs> I've seen this film a lot. Like I, and I think yeah. about it a lot. I have the uh, album art poster up in my living room. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a film that I've programmed for a, a Q fest event. So I'm, I'm always sort of in it going into it halfway through. I was like, oh, this is weird. Yeah. It's, it is so stylized that as you creep into it, you sort of get acclimated to the world of it. But going in like uh, just into the middle of it, I was completely alienated. I was like, what is Tilda Swinton doing in this film? Like she's, it's silly. And it's so weird that you get like acclimated into the story and they are being arch because uh, performance and style and aesthetics are all um, completely historically time bound. Right. Um, and some of that is technology, but a lot of it is culture. Mm -hmm. So when they're behaving like they are in a Ryder Werner Fossbender film, it is not um, unintentional. No, especially not, yeah. when you have Ingrid Coven uh, in the same room, who is <laughs> you know a part of Fassbender's anti theater and his ex-wife. So 
um, <laughs> you know, you've got all these historical hallmarks of like yeah. German cinema and European cinema of the seventies alongside these very um, modern performers. And so, yeah, you're, it's the, all of the performances feel very alienating, mm-hmm. um, especially when you remove them from their context. Yeah, and that's why it, it makes sense to me that Dakota Johnson and Mia Goth are casting this thing because their their presences are are, are well, they're weird and they're but they're timeless in their placement yeah. of yeah. Uh, the era that he's referencing all over the place. Like he, he, they feel like actors that could have grown up in the uh, that type of German uh, film history. Whereas, yeah, Chloe Grace Moretz, I just I didn't think she was bad. I just there had to have been a better, cheaper actor that you could have thrown in that beginning scene. I just don't understand her place that, in it at all. I think you yeah. hit the nail on the head. I think yeah. it does come down to, to money when she is a name, mm-hmm. right? And I, supposedly they're going to work together again. I mean, Luca Guadagnino <laughs> has a, like projects upon projects that yeah, he's always he working on. Yeah. Um, I thought by now we would have already seen his film adaptation of Bob Dylan's album, Blood on the Tracks. Yeah. Like that was something that was planned and Chloe Grace Moretz was going to be in it. And huh. I was like, wait, I thought he was using her as a joke in this <laughs> but it was only a joke uh, for me and written right. by me that she's the worst. So of yeah. course you want to see her mummified. So is that movie coming out or is it just in limbo I at this know. point? You don't so, know. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can sit and talk about what projects he's in. He's, yeah. t- he's been attached to a Scarface remake. Ooh. Um, he's been attached to, um, oh, some a biopic of a singer. I don't, I don't remember. Now we know he's got a new film coming out starring Zendaya. And yes, tra- uh, what's Joshua that one called Potter again? And Challengers. Challengers, um, yes. Which has been delayed, actually. I know, till next year. I'm, I'm very sad about that. Me that, too. That movie looked wild. That like in a, It really does. Well, that's why like when we were talking about, when I prompted, before we uh, came on air, prompted the, does Luca feel like a hard def- uh, director to define? You bringing up his, I didn't know that he had only done adaptations um, as his inspiration for all of his movies. Um, I think that goes into why he's hard to define with a certain style for me is because he can go in and out of different genres and, uh, different themes so well. And I think him going to challengers, like, would he just have been making a sports movie? Like, Uh yeah, like, like obviously he's going to bring his own twist on it and make it really unique. But I'm just like, I know this guy's making a sports tennis movie. Like that. Is he a fan of tennis is, uh, why is Zendaya Zendaya playing this this family like Mike Feist and uh, I forget the other actor in it just Josh like Josh O'Connor yeah Josh O'Connor just like huge objects of desire I feel like of the last few years so that well, maybe is you have it right there yeah it comes back to desire what Challengers looks like to me is Jules and Jem <laughs> the Truffaut movie okay in which you have uh, a woman uh, that is a part of really a a throuple where mm-hmm. you have Jules and Jem, two friends, and a woman who they are both romantically interested in, Mm -hmm. and the woman who sort of plays both of them or is interested in in them. Jules and Jem is a film that everyone loves that I hate. Uh, I feel like it's misogynistic. (laughs) I feel like it's kind of um, gross uh, uh, towards 
the Catherine character, the female part of that love triangle. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to see how he would update it for celebrity culture. I, mm -hmm. I think he's probably more interested in that than tennis. But even judging from that trailer, it it looks like he is actually interested in the mechanics of the game. I'm, I, there's just like one shot where a tennis ball is flying into the camera. Mm -hmm. I'm like, right. Of course, Guadagnino would do that because he's interested <laughs> in those sort of very small details. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I just have no idea what direction he's taking with his no. career. Um, and just sort of thrilling though, right? Oh yeah. He can take his talents to a YA novel that's mm -hmm. horror, he, I, I, an epic political parable like this, or a, what's a relatively small love story mm -hmm. uh, like Call Me By Your Name. And they all, they all sort of smell the same. They yeah. all sort of smell of, of beach and sweat, <laughs> you know? Um, they're all very sensual and sexy films, even, even Suspiria, a film uh, with like buckets and buckets of viscera yeah. is, is, is a sexy film. Right. Um, even the way he moves the camera to look at a space or to watch bodies move in space. Yeah. It's, it is very sexy. Oh yeah. And just before the final climactic dance uh, cult act where all the blood is introduced before that the violence came from the movements of our dancers just like the way they were like gyrating up and down and like clearly like the main thing that dakota johnson uh, susie has to do at the beginning is just jump up in the air repeatedly in this very sporadic way and uh they just keep saying how they need to use gravity you need to jump higher you need to jump harder i'm like this looks like it hurts and then you obviously have the parallel of our first character that dies her feeling the pain of the movements that Dakota Johnson is performing, but Dakota Johnson isn't feeling any of that pain for some reason. And I don't know if that's something that was deemed on her because she is the, the mother or if uh, they took that off of her because they needed her to be healthy enough to transition into this mother queen, whatever you want to call it figure. But yeah, it's just, the violence was from the performance, like the, uh, the, the dancing. I wonder mm -hmm. if challengers would be that same thing of like, you, you see the beautiful body, you see the desire, but this physical act is going to break it down over time. And, uh, they, they needed to reset that every, however many years this, uh, this mother figures in place until they find the new one to be destined. Uh, yeah. And it seems like there's, there's a couple things going on. It's that Susie is actually sort of their, um, their, their leader, their prophet, mm -hmm. and was always meant to be that right. had a destiny. But what they're actually trying to do, and what they attempt to do with Chloe Grace Moretz in the right. beginning, is use the body, mm -hmm. use the body as a vessel for power. And because it appears um, <laughs> that Helena Marcos has quite a bit of mileage on her. Yeah, she does. Like, baby arms. I love how grotesque this film is, too. It's so <laughs> giddy about its violence. Right. And I haven't body. seen, like, you when you see uh, 
a character like that that is just so grotesque. They normally just pan away and you look at her for three seconds and then everything else around it is happening. They give her actual lines and conversation and oh. it's so funny too. Like I, I found just her going like her going back and forth with uh, Dakota Johnson until it went and it was just like, what is happening right now? They're giving us so much time with this decrepit character. Like I, they look so much like uh, the decrepit family from Texas Chainsaw Massacre to me. Like when they bring <laughs> the, the grandpa downstairs and then you're like, yeah. oh, it's actually he's actually alive. But you just see him suck on the main character's finger and just you're like oh that's all we need to see because it's so grotesque luca just let us sit with this creature for 20 minutes it felt like and then well, you don't get relief you go straight into the blood and all the killing of the other mother mother killing everybody so yeah it just the dynamics is- of this cult i have no clear idea of what the, <laughs> yeah. the hierarchy of this this organization is what I love that he does is gives you glimpses of her because the uh, in the original Suspiria, it's sort of the same thing. She's mm-hmm. like Jaws. Right. Um, <laughs> until the end, she's what you would imagine this witch to be. She's sort of a fantastical witch. Mm-hmm. But in this film, you have like her hand at one point. I think there's another point where you might see just in the background um, where I have seen uh, like a drawing of her maybe as a younger vision, uh, a younger person. But uh, in this final, the the final dance of Volk, which is done in the bowels of hell, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe. Which yeah. they have a direct connect to, it seems. Yeah. Uh, that- it's in the bright light. So like yeah. you're just looking at this woman and she has like literal baby arms hanging <laughs> off of her and they're just like wiggling and there's yeah. like ears and uh. the whole entire body. Mm. And it's just this idea of like the body as a vessel. And <laughs> um, yeah, it's certainly not a temple for these people. No. And yeah, just the last just yeah how grotesque it is the movie wasn't funny until it became grotesque grotesque though for me like be- before they went fully out like until this one dies and they're like they're they announce that she's left the 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 academy they cut to all of them just sweeping the floors of uh of the ritual area cleaning up the blood her head's hanging down because it's half cut off and they lift it back up and she's back alive again and you're yeah, just like what dead. Is- she's not <laughs> she, dead she's, she's not actually dead. Just yeah, in- she's, incapacitated. She's, I was like, holy shit, this is... She's vibing. Yeah, why are they just being funny all out of nowhere? It just was not a... F- <laughs> or I didn't notice the funny movie, the funny aspects of the movie until... I didn't really notice the sexiness or the funniness until the end where the, the full release happened. And I felt like it's going to make the rewatches fun. Because one... It does, these- because you, you see all of these details that go throughout it. And they, like... Uh, um, God, what's her name? What's the actress's name? I've lost it. Uh, the she's Tanner. Oh yes, Margaret. Um, motherfuck. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're um, fine. You said we talked about pussy and all that stuff. You're you're good. Oh yes, yeah. yes, yes. That's yes. right. Um, but uh, 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 you said act- you said Miss Tanner. Is that who you're talking uh-huh. about? Angela Winkler. Angela Winkler. She's mm-hmm. a, uh, from New German cinema. She worked with Volker Schlorndorf a lot mm-hmm. and uh, Margaret von Trotha. And she's, um, they act as if 
they've done this 1,000 times. I know. Okay. New, uh, we're in a new vessel. We're in a new body now. So mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, we have to go clean up the basement. Right. <laughs> it was just so matter of fact. Like they got in their janitorial crew to yeah. clean up this thing that, you, like you said, has been happening a thousand times. Her character, though, was interesting because she seemed distraught about something about this particular performance or maybe it was the vessel like or maybe it's the end because dakota johns is like the prophet figure so is this like it's final form or yeah just she she's representing a new political idea yeah um and it doesn't seem like any of them are quite ready for a new form she's right she's closer to what um, the more modern political ideas that it seems like Blanc would represent. Right. And Blanc um, uh, lost the election. Right. I love, I love the election <laughs> scene, which is done in a Warner while everyone's preparing their breakfast in their communal <laughs> space. Yeah. And you just hear an election happening. Yeah. Um, um, they have, and this is another thing about, you know, sort of hidden paradigms and political paradigms where the witches have an ability to communicate without opening their mouths. And I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. I love it when they're having dinner and they're all out on one level, seem like they're drunk and having just like a joyously uh, anarchic time. Right. But what they're actually doing is having a, a like a planning session <laughs> about what to do about Susie. Yeah, it's like if anybody walks in, no one would be the wiser that they're nope. performing an election for the the new regime. Wow, yeah, it, this I think that's a good place to wrap it up on because I feel like we're about to get into uh, an area where we are going to try to explain everything because <laughs> my, my initial inclination was to try to create an exact American parallel of like, all right, who is Susie in this? What political candidate is Susie? And I don't think I'm ready to define u.s politics with uh, maybe in 30 years uh the next luca guagnino will really put this into american uh the american political system to make it painfully obvious uh <laughs> where our gaps are in our society but uh joshua this is wonderful talking to you about it um i feel like you'd be in, in a great way like i was like hey you need to be the host for a little bit explain suspiria to me because this is my our first time i think that's what's so fun about this for me at least maybe it's exhausting for you where it's like oh man i'm explaining this movie to somebody else for the first time but um i think no these... it's exciting to me and i yeah. don't mean to i'm sorry if i uh seem to take over for a no no it's a, it is a film that i absolutely love and i've spent a lot of time with it and a lot of time in it and it, it you know everything i say you can take it with a grain of salt too because mm-hmm. you're gonna watch this thing and you're gonna have a very different experience for sure and that's what we we tried to round out this series with not just the Drew and I are uh, competent, borderline good at loving on movies that we love and explaining that side of ourselves. Thank you. But with great. but with this new uh, this new series, us trying to find the new lanes that we can get into and allow uh, more interesting conversations about directors, kind of softening up our small audience to the idea of us playing with, with other topics. So um, guys go out and watch Suspiria. Hopefully you came into this conversation already seeing, having seen it because we want you guys to uh, watch along with us as um, the series is going on. 
So we're going to be doubling up this week with uh, Lost in Translation with Katie Carter. Um, I have not seen Lost. I have not seen Lost in Translation. So that is something that uh, a, a huge gap for me and Sofia Coppola being one of my favorite directors. That's the only one I haven't seen of her. So I'm excited to talk about that with Katie uh, later on this week. Um, we are Do You Like Apples. We still have our newsletter that comes out every Friday morning. Please go to Substack and subscribe to that. We are on Instagram and X at you like underscore apples. And again, Joshua Ray, programmer at Cinema St. Louis, uh, owner and operator of The Take Up. And occasionally every week on KMOV with uh, reviews of new movies coming out. Um, one last question for you, Joshua. What's been uh, on KMOV? Are you generally more negative about the new releases? Have there been any like... What's uh what's been the general consensus as you've come back on like a, a, a critic that hates everything, a critic that loves everything, yeah. kind of where where have you carved yourself out as that? I'm the you, hater. You're the I'm hater. The hater. <laughs> well, by the nature of what I'm doing, which is yeah. reviewing the major releases, I mean, mm-hmm. I, how do you think that's gonna go? I mean, exactly. I'm not someone who's who's um, you know every film has benefit of the doubt, and there there are films at the Next segment I'm going to do on this upcoming Friday, I'm not sure when this episode comes out, but yeah. is going to be uh, uh, not new releases, but disappointments and surprises of the year. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, everything, I want every film to be great. Yeah. Um, but uh, the bulk of what's playing at the, the box office is typically not great. No. Nope. Um, but, you know, this year, I I think a lot of grand and expensive Hollywood product actually has been great. One of my oh, favorite awesome. films of the year is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I think oh, nice. A, uh, very close to a masterpiece. And I'm, I'm, Interesting. Not, I'm not kidding at all. Um, and, you know, we've had Barbie and Oppenheimer create right. such a sensation. And there's just such bold visions from mm-hmm. auteurs that, you know, Barbie's over a billion dollars now. It's so crazy. And it's, it's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but uh, uh, so yeah, so I try not to be the hater. But, right. You know. you're, you're open-minded when you're given a minute to divulge your thoughts. If yeah. uh, Especially if you don't like it, it comes off a little bit more. Um, yeah. No, 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 not for you specifically. I know when I talk negatively, I get more passionate about it than when I love something. <laughs> so it's hard to uh, pull back sometimes for me when I... Uh, uh, and, and not liking a movie too much, but I'm in a position where if I don't uh, want to see a movie, I don't have to. Whereas you're seeing everything, it seems like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. I tried that at one point in my uh, attempts to be a critic, and it was exhausting. I did it for about it six months, exhausting. and it, it was a, a ton of fun, but expensive and exhausting. Um, but guys, I really appreciate everybody listening in. Joshua, thank you again. This was great. like apples. You like apples.